Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Todd Coconado. I'm so glad that you're tuning in to this five-part audio speaking series, which is entitled Exposing Satan's Playbook, How We Can Win Every Battle. You know, in sports, when you know the playbook of the other team, you win the game. Well, it's the same way in Christianity. When you know the playbook of our enemy, the devil, you can win every single battle. It's important to get the strategy from heaven, and I'm going to show you just how to do that. CD1, I'm going to share my testimony, who I am and how I came to know Jesus Christ. In CD2, we're going to talk about exposing Satan's playbook. CD3, we're going to get the strategy from heaven on how to win. In CD4, we're going to safeguard our home from the attack of the enemy. And in CD5, I'm going to encourage you with words of knowledge and just in speaking from the Holy Spirit as he directs us. I'm so excited about this series. Let's begin with my testimony. This is CD1. And in this CD, I'm going to share my personal testimony. I would love to lead unsaved or backslidden listeners in a salvation prayer at the end. Also, my mom is going to encourage parents who are believing for their children to come to know Jesus and how to pray for them. So let's start this first CD entitled Todd's Testimony. Here we go. Well, I'm so thankful that you're tuned in today to this five-part audio series, and this is one of the hardest things for me to do in this series, and that's share just my entire testimony because uh, I'm limited in my time, and there's just so much. But I'm going to share the highlights so that maybe you can kind of see what God has done in my life because it's a big thing he's done. He's done a very big thing. And I wasn't always a pastor. I wasn't always an evangelist. I actually was uh, a very, very bad sinner that needed a savior, trust me, uh, totally caught up in the world. I lived a promiscuous lifestyle. I was caught up in Hollywood. I was partying. I was doing drugs and alcohol. I thought I had made it, but actually I was on my way to hell. The Bible says the wages of sin or death, and that's where I was headed. I was headed to death. I was I was headed to, to literally die uh, because of my issues and sin. And so uh, you know, God can save a wretch like me. He did, and uh, he turned my life around, gave me a second chance, and that's why I want to share this with you. And so, you know, if you've never given your testimony before, I just want to encourage you, you know, that's your story, and God has given each of us a unique story. You might say, well, mine isn't like yours or mine's different, but that's okay. All of us have a unique story to tell, and that's why I'm going to be transparent with you today and share mine. So, you know, I, my dad was a very successful businessman. Uh, we were living in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. My parents hailed from New York. My mom was uh, from the city. My dad was from Astoria, and uh, they lived in, in Long Island much of their years growing up. They went to university out there in New York. My dad went to Hofstra. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, was a really, really amazing woman that, you know, was just very loyal and dedicated to her husband. And, and so anyway, they moved out to Cincinnati where I was born. And we lived there until I was about seven or eight years old. And then my dad got transferred to uh, Los Angeles, California to work for a big retail chain. He was in retail and he got uh, a job with Robinson's May. Now, Robinson's May department stores were part of the May company. And that was one of the biggest chains in the country. It actually was bought out by Macy's uh, about a decade or so ago. But before that, 
uh, it was it was one of the biggest chains in the in the country, if you recall. And they had a lot of different store branches under them. And one of them was the May Company uh, out there in uh, California. It was based in uh, North Hollywood, California. And so we moved out to Los Angeles, and uh, my dad uh, started that very very uh, high level job with the company as a as a vice president. And uh, he was a very successful businessman. He was one of the people that actually put Tommy Hilfiger in stores uh, when Tommy was just starting out. He knew all the big names. He knew, you know, Calvin Klein. He knew a lot of the big people, the presidents that ran all these companies. And so almost every large designer brand that you can think of, my dad probably had some interaction with him. And they probably knew who he was because he was well known in the industry. And so, uh, you know, anyways, uh, my mom, she was told by people when we moved out to California, hey, you need to get your son into acting. You know, he's a good looking kid. You got to get him into acting. And so she, she listened to that advice and uh, she actually found a woman by the name of Jean Page who had a great, uh, very successful child managing organization. Uh, you know, manager and agent are like the two most important things to an actor. And so she was the manager and she was a child manager and a very prominent one in Hollywood. And so she ended up getting me a lot of parts. And I was on principal roles in commercials and I had guest appearances on a lot of television shows as a child actor. Um, uh, some of them are Who's the Boss, General Hospital. Um, let's see what else was on. Jake and the Fat Man. Uh, there was a bunch of them. And I also did some national commercials like Crest and Coca-Cola and um, you know, those can make a lot of money. If you're a child actor and you have a principal role, you can make really good money on those. So I was doing really well. And I started getting kind of caught up in the lifestyle as a young child uh, who was not going to school as much as I was on the set. And when you're on the set, you have these uh, people that teach you on set. So it's like you have class on set. And so I was doing that a lot. I did attend uh, school, but I was on set a lot. And so I was out of school a lot. And there was periods of time I was out of school for a long period of time. And uh, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I told my mom, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I just felt like I was missing out on the high school experience. I wanted to be like the other kids. You know, I wanted to go out and hang out and party and have friends. And uh, so she said, well, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. I said, no, I don't really want to do it anymore. She said, okay. But the thing was, I kept my Hollywood friends and I never lost the whole industry mentality. And, uh, and so even though I had gone back to high school around 16, and was really not acting anymore. I still stayed with the Hollywood crowd. I dated people in the Hollywood scene. Uh, I dated women that, you know, were young girls that were in Disney and uh, others that were, you know, somewhat well-known people or up-and-coming young actresses. And, um, you know, it was it was interesting to, to date those people because uh, I saw a couple of people become famous before my eyes. Um, and, of course, I'm talking about girls. And so anyways, um, you know, I, I started going to the clubs. I started going to raves in L.A. There was a big underground party scene, and I started getting really caught up in that scene. They call them club kids. Uh, I was a raver. Um, I also did the designer drugs that went along with raving, which ecstasy was a big one. Um, you know, it was, it was very common to smoke a lot of weed in that scene. Uh, people would take ecstasy pills. Um, I was young, but going out, pretty regularly. Uh, my parents tried to rein me in. Uh, they were frustrated by me. They knew I was out partying. My, my parents had become Christian at this point, especially my mom. Um, I actually was brought to church at a pretty young age when we went to California. Uh, my grandparents had got saved 
and they started bringing us to a Pentecostal church in Chatsworth. Now, before I go on, I got to share a little bit about my dad because my dad and I had a very difficult relationship. He was a very macho man. Uh, he's still alive today, uh, but he, you know, he was very macho at the time, very prideful, um, kind of, you know, a little bit angry. And uh, it was just a challenge for me and for my mom because uh, he wasn't very kind to us. And there was abuse in the home and a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. And so that was difficult for me. And that was always a part of my childhood. And I can't leave that out because it's a significant part. There were many mornings that I would wake up to a screaming father. Uh, you know, I would be playing with toys. Sometimes he would come home from work and my toys would be all over the room and he would literally take me and pick me up and throw me against the wall. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Uh, those things probably wouldn't be tolerated today, but at the time that was something that people kind of just brushed under the rug. And so I just lived with it. And so did my mom. And, uh, it was very difficult for us. And for many years we dealt with his anger until the Lord would one day redeem that. But uh, you know, it's, it's been a long journey, a very long journey. And so you have to keep that in the back of your mind when you think about the next stage, because when I was in my teens, I started really rebelling. And although there was a, a form of godliness in our family and my mom had become saved and my grandparents were saved and my dad was kind of towing the line and trying to figure out what he was going to do with his faith, if he was going to actually re receive Jesus or not. So for years, he would give our pastor of this small church in Chatsworth a real hard time, and this pastor would really take time with him. I mean, I have to give this pastor credit. And then he ended up dying, going to be with the Lord, and the pastor that took over also gave him a lot of time and ministered to him. And you don't really see that that much these days where pastors take that much time to mentor and to minister to people. But these pastors, these two men, uh, did do just that. They sat with him many, many hours and listened to his complaints and tried to help my parents' marriage. And I think that many years later that would bear fruit. Uh, because my dad would eventually start attending the church, even though he didn't like the music and would stay outside for worship. He eventually even came in. And so uh, in my teens, I was in rebellion. I was in rebellion because I was tired of the situation at my house. I thought my parents were phonies uh, when it came to their Christianity. Not my mom as much as my dad, but just because of the fighting and because of all the you know discontention in the home, uh, I went out, I partied, I started doing you know marijuana and um, you know, flirting with some other drugs that were pretty prevalent in the LA scene. Um, I would party in the San Fernando Valley and I would also party in Hollywood. So I kind of had two different crowds, but I never got away from that Hollywood crowd. And that would really become my main crowd in my later teens. And I started getting some notoriety in the club scene and I was a promoter and I was, you know, walking up to these A-list clubs and getting pulled in through the line. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, VIP status kind of things going on. And, uh, you know, like I said, my dating, I was dating, you know, people that were in Hollywood. And, and so I kind of made a little name for myself in the LA scene. And um, that became my church. I would go Monday, I would go Tuesday, I would go Wednesday, I would go Thursday. I mean, every single night of my life, almost I would be going out. It wasn't just on weekends. In fact, we would say that the, the real clubbers, they would go out during the week, the more general population people would go out on the weekend. So we were we were all about it. I would be at all these different parties and clubs and mansion parties in Hollywood and just totally, totally caught up and dealing with a lot of uh, very um, dark people and, you know, the people that put on the clubs and, uh, you know, everything that goes along with that is promiscuity and drug addiction and, you know, all different types of partying and late nights and alcohol and a lot of money and so that was my life for many years. And I started really feeling like God started revealing himself to me as I would see so many things in Hollywood from, you know, the 
my days as a child actor, which I saw abuse and different things happening to some of the kids that I knew. I wasn't personally abused, but friends of mine were molested and, you know, had experiences in the casting couch. And so I kind of had, you know, an understanding that there was some sexual perversion that was happening, even with some of my uh, young female friends. I mean, I just, I knew that they were going through things. You could tell that they were very disturbed about certain things that were happening. And I saw the handlers and I saw, you know, just the whole behind the scenes things that most people don't understand is going on in Hollywood with Disney, with just so many different of the big companies and, and, and the different machines that are operating in the Hollywood environment. I mean, it's really unbelievable uh, some of the things that most people don't know about that actually go on there. Now, some of it's come out uh, in recent years, some of these guys that have gone down for some of their escapades in Hollywood, but, you know, there's still a lot more that's happened that hasn't come out. And I got to see a lot of that firsthand. And so I think the Lord allowed me to see that because later on what he would do is he would turn around what was meant for evil for good and he would restore and redeem my life and also flip the script and allow me to use the enemy's playbook against him. So in this series, you'll understand where a lot of this comes from. This is from my personal experience where God started revealing himself to me. And what I saw was, you know, what it showed me I remember one time I was in Las Vegas and I was at the Real World Suite in one of the hotels there. This is around the time they were doing that show, The Real World, on MTV. And I was with one of the biggest celebrities in the world. And I remember just looking at her and she was on drugs that night and just saying, wow, like, no, people don't understand how broken these people are. And my mom had been giving me words and praying for me and trying to get me out of the lifestyle. And I think she had an element of guilt because she knew that the marriage and just things that had happened in my childhood kind of contributed, even though it was my fault that I had engaged in this sin. Uh, you know, I think she felt guilty and knew that a lot of it was rebellion and things that happened to me in, in the house and certain things that caused me to be in this place. Uh, but I take full responsibility for it as an adult. I realized it was all my decision. Uh, but nevertheless, I do think that there was abuse and there were things that kind of led me to run and look for my identity. So I was on this constant journey for my identity. I, I wanted to, you know, I was, I was insecure. I was trying to figure out who I was. And in the world, success is measured in a different way than in the church and in, in Christ. Uh, it's really in Christ, you know. So what, what people thought was like, you're, you're successful, you're making it, you know, being with these celebrities, you know, being pulled ahead of the line at these really, you know, high level clubs and uh, you know, just in Los Angeles and the style and the fashion and the drugs and just the whole thing. It was, it was so alluring. The lifestyle was so alluring. The money, you know, I mean, there would be nights when we would probably go through, you know, five, six grand in a night and not even flinch because that was normal to us. And the money was coming in just as fast as it was going out. So we were just living it up and uh, people in my high school, you know, would be like, wow, look at Todd Coconato. Wow, he's he's doing it. Look at him. And, you know, so that gives you kind of like an, a social accolades and pats on the back from your peers. And, you know, if I were to ever take somebody out from high school with me and bring him out to the scene, they'd be like in awe of, wow, look at this guy's connections. And and I'm not trying to brag. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because this is the reality of what was going on. And so I started seeing the demonic. It was weird, but that was actually my first understanding that something was going on was I started seeing the evil. And I said, well, if there's evil, there has to be good. I remember being at this one party where it was like, literally you go down these stairs, you walk into this club and there's like a a hatch that they pull up and all of a sudden there's these stairs and you go down there 
And the next thing you know, you're in this room with all these celebrities and prominent people dressed very risque. And it was like this really secret party, you know, and that's the kind of things that go on out there. There's a lot of secret stuff and a lot of uh, promiscuity and a lot of just evil things because they, they sexualize everything. And that's kind of your identity. And, you know, when you're under the influence of drugs and alcohol, hey, that just, you know, every sin imaginable is taking place, you know. So this is what I was seeing. And the darkness was so thick. And I knew that it was wicked and evil. And I would have um, kind of like visions of, of seeing the demonic you know, a couple of times when I was under the influence of drugs and alcohol, I would see the demons. And I remember one time I was in Vegas. I had just left a Dolce & Gabbana party, and I was out in Vegas, and I'm walking. Uh, I think I was staying at Caesar's Palace that night, and I'm walking, and I, I kid you not, demons were talking to me, and they were laughing at me. And I remember going back to that hotel and getting on my knees. This was like one of the first times. I was actually at this show called The Magic Show, believe it or not, which was part of a big show in, in retail and fashion world at that time. And I think they might still have it. I don't know. But, you know, at the time, it was like the show to be at. So I left this Dolce & Gabbana party. I was probably drunk, walking down the street. I started hearing demons laughing at me. I get back to my hotel, and I just get on my knees, and I start crying out. And I said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Because I knew that my, I was headed to to hell. I knew that there was something wrong in my life that I had to change. And all these people are trying to tell me this is success. This is what you want. And I'm like, no, this is not what I want at all. And I remember going to church with my parents and they, you know, they would invite me on Christmas and Easter. And like I said, at this point, they weren't exactly getting along, but they were doing better. And my mom had really progressed in her faith. She had gone to seminary at this point, became a, you know, a preacher. She would have a meeting, you know, a healing meeting. And so, Anyways, they invited me to church from here, you know, time to time, and I would, I would go from time to time, and when I would go, I would just sweat, and I would cry, and just know that I'm just so dark, I'm so messed up, and I just, you know, when I wouldn't let my parents know that I was feeling that way, but when I was alone, I was just so sad about how I was living, and I was living with a, you know, a girl uh, at the time, and had a really nice condo, and all of a sudden, I just started calling upon the name of the Lord. And my mom and my dad, they invited me to this trip in Hawaii. And it was actually a pastor's conference in Hawaii uh, for the Foursquare movement. And, and they said, come on out. And, you know, you don't even have to really go to any of the meetings. Just come to one. And then the rest of the time, you can hang out at this beautiful hotel and you can be on the beach in Hawaii. And we're going to pay for the whole thing. Why don't you just come? And so I didn't say no to the trip because I said, well, you know, I'll go spend some time with my family. I'll go enjoy Hawaii. You know, what's one church service? That'll be fine. And so I left my girlfriend at home. I go out there. I go with my parents, and something happens on this trip. This preacher was preaching, and he was just letting it all out. I mean, he was just on fire. And I remember sitting in that, in that audience of pastors and just feeling completely out of place and literally knowing that I was on my way to hell. I knew that I was not saved. I knew that my life was a lifestyle of sin. I knew I was caught up. And honestly, I knew that if I would continue down this path, I was going to die. I really knew I was going to die because some of my friends had already died over overdoses and different things. And I knew that that was the direction I was headed. I, I, I Even though I wasn't that crazy into drugs, I did enough and I flirted enough with darkness that I knew that I could have died. And so all of a sudden I walk outside during this meeting and it was like a beam of light came on me. I, I just can't even explain. It was like a beam of light. It was so intense. And I started weeping and crying and I got on my knees and I just will never forget this moment. It was the moment that I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. 
And the Holy Spirit was just raining on me, and I was just weeping and weeping. And I said, Lord, if you're real, I said, I have so many issues in my life. I have so many challenges in my life. There's people I owe money to. I'm living with my girlfriend. I mean, you know, I, at this point, I was I was involved in, in, you know, I was in the room when when deals were going on. You know what I'm saying? I was I was involved with some some really dark people at this point. I mean, I would go out to Vegas and, you know, just see things that honestly were, were wrong, you know, just, just bad things that were going on. And uh, so I knew, I said, I, had, I have to get out of this or I'm going to die. You know, something's going to happen to me. And so anyway, I, I accepted the Lord right there and then on my knees in that Descanso Garden of that beautiful convention center in Honolulu, Hawaii. And that trip ended up being a totally life-changing experience. I, I got ministered to by pastors. Uh, I actually walked the beach in Honolulu and had a, a talk with my dad, a heart-to-heart, and we reconciled our relationship for the first time. I explained to him how hurt I had been and how angry I had been with him and he repented to me and it was the first time I ever heard my dad ask for forgiveness so it was like a huge deal to me this macho Italian guy uh, you know that really I didn't have much of a relationship with and here he's you know saying I'm sorry for the way I've treated you and so that just rocked me and so this trip was a life changer I came back after being with pastors for the the entirety of the trip and the ministering to me and prophesying over me and um, you know I come back and I have to tell you this, this is just a little caveat, but every time I would go into a church when I was younger, uh, this was when my mom was first getting saved and when we were kind of first going to a Pentecostal church, almost every time, I got to share this with you, there would be a preacher and they would stop the service. I mean, this must have happened seven, eight, nine times. They would stop the service and they would point at me and they would say, hey, you, they'd say, you, there's a calling on your life. God told me to tell you there's a calling on your life. And every time I'd be like, what in the world are these people talking about? It got to the point where I didn't even want to go to church, you know? So you just need to know that. And so anyway, this all led up to me accepting Jesus. I come back from that trip in Hawaii, and I tell my girlfriend, who I'd been living with and partying with, I said, um, I got saved in, in Hawaii. <laughs> she says, what does that mean? I said, well, it, I think it means we got to move out. We can't live together anymore. And uh, it also means that I'm giving my heart to Jesus. And, and she didn't really know what to think about this because you got to re- remember the, the person that she knew was a tough Hollywood guy partying, living a very worldly lifestyle, you know, all about, you know, who I am and my identity out there in Hollywood and the VIP and the celebrities and, you know, all this stuff that I'd worked so hard for this whole reputation, you know, and, and here I am saying, I'm going to throw all that away, basically, and I'm giving my heart to Jesus. And so I think she was a little scared. She didn't know quite what to think about the whole thing uh, but she was a little bit scared uh, but she's like okay well I think she was trying to be supportive of it at first even though she didn't really know what it meant uh, but eventually I you know I end up moving home with my parents and I think she ended up moving into another place and uh, you know I think she maybe kept the place for a little while and then moved into her own place and so that was kind of the end we tried to work out that relationship but you know it, it just went such a different direction I don't think she was ready to really uh, live the lifestyle that I was going to live at that time and so there was this period of time where I was really kind of in like a black hole. I mean, it was like a, I call it the Christian dark ages, you know, but it's like when you come from the world and all of a sudden, you know, you're in your, your 20s and it's like you're trying to find your identity in Christ, but, you know, you're used to hanging out a certain element of people, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm used to hanging out with these Hollywood people and all of a sudden I'm at this very conservative church where people were in suits and ties and I just felt so out of place. And so for a long time, I did not find a Christian friend that I could relate to. And this was hard for me because I was a, a popular person in the world and, you know, I was all about my social life and you know, who I was in Hollywood. And so here I am, 
trying to understand, you know, who I'm going to be now and how my life is going to change. And honestly, everything changed. I mean, I didn't have the money coming in that I had. I, I didn't have the prominence in Hollywood. I, I, it was like, you know, I had to start from scratch basically. And so I remember standing in the foyer of church, you know, and, and just waiting for somebody like, will anybody even say hi to me? And people would look at me like I was crazy. They would look, you know, there was a few people that would come and say hi, but, you know, usually my parents, friends or a greeter. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of people that really reached out to me or took care in me until finally I meet this pastor. Now, he's actually gone home to be with the Lord, but he wasn't that much older than me. And he took an interest in me, and he was actually somebody that I could relate to. He was kind of cool, and, you know, he dressed like I did a little bit more and, you know, kind of understood where I was coming from. He understood hip-hop and R&B and, you know, music. And you, you could just tell the guy kind of knew what's up. And so for me, that was big because this was like the first Christian that actually kind of got me. And so I kind of, you know, clung on to him and thank God for this guy. And he would meet me for coffee and kind of mentor me and share with me, you know, what, what he had been through. And that was just so huge to me. And I just, I just want to let people know how much mentorship is so important because this is really why I am where I am today is because this man and a few other people actually took interest in my life and actually sat with me and let me kind of share my heart and what I was going through. And then they'd minister to me and help me through it and pray me through it and hold me accountable. And I really believe that's one of the main reasons I'm here today. That and my mom, who was a praying woman of God, an intercessor, and she would never give up on me. And she knew that I would have died if I didn't start turning my life around and become a Christian. She knew that. And she, you know, some of her friends that were my friend's parents, they did lose their kid uh, to various reasons. And so she knew that, you know, I could very well die. And she knew it was a life or death thing. And so if you're a parent and you're praying for your kid and they're totally lost, think of who you're talking to right now. Pastor Todd Coconato on here, an evangelist, uh, you know, people would never think this was my life. Pastor was the last thing at this point in my life that I ever thought I would be. I, I really never thought I'd be a pastor, never. I want to make something clear to everybody that's listening too. I don't think I'm better than anybody. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pastors walking around, pretend to be celebrities and things like that. That is the most craziest thing to me I can even think about because all I know is that God saved a wretch like me and I saw the darkness and I saw what the world have, had to offer and I saw what people said, hey, this is success. This is, you know, when you make it, this is, this is it in the world. And I thought, this is it. This is, you know, here's this international celebrity that's sitting next to me on drugs and everybody's got posters of her on their wall and here I am sitting and I'm just looking at how broken she is and how miserable she was, at least at the time, and how controlled her life was. And I'm thinking, is that what I want? Like, am I aspiring to be something like her? No. No. Am I aspiring to be one of these big club promoter guys or, you know, these people that own these clubs or, you know, these really elite people in Hollywood that seem to have it all figured out and, you know, according to the world standards and they're walking the red carpet. And meanwhile, they're totally miserable. They can't hold a relationship. They're, most of them are depressed. Uh, you know, totally not what it seems like on the outside, right? So... Anyways, I, I accepted Jesus Christ. Let's get back to that part. And so I'm now in this weird period where I'm trying to make friends. This guy starts taking time and mentoring me. Thank you, Jesus. I start making friends. And uh, that was kind of my life for a good maybe year and a half or so. You know, and, and I would get tempted to go back out with my worldly friends just because I was bored and I was lonely. And plus, I kind of missed the allure of the whole thing. I kind of missed the lifestyle. I mean, you know, you, you do kind of miss the lifestyle. So, uh, you know... It's like this difficult period where you're finding your identity in Christ and you're missing your worldly friends and you're missing all the accolades and all the things that go along with the 
prominence of being somebody in Hollywood who has connections, you know. So it was it was hard. I mean, I, I got to be honest. I mean, there was days I got depressed, and um, I thought maybe I didn't make the right decision. But uh, so about two and a half, you know, maybe two, two and a half years into this thing, um, I go back to this worldly friend that I wanted to go see that night. I was just getting out of the gym. I was in Granada Hills, California. And, um, you know, I go, to, I go visit this person. I'm, I'm on my way to their apartment. And uh, just out of nowhere, this guy opens the door and runs out uh, of this apartment with a huge kitchen knife. And I'm not saying I was Mr. Innocent about the whole thing. You know, there was, there was a lot going on at that time. I think I was, you know, probably an intimidating person. I was very buff. I, you know, I came out of the gym. I would also get angry. You know, I, I struggled with anger issues and different things, probably related to my childhood and growing up. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this apartment complex in Granada Hills. This door flings open. This guy, which I think was on drugs and, and meth or something like that, probably been up for a couple of days, just doesn't even give me a chance to even think about it, just starts stabbing me. And it was with this big kitchen knife. And one of them went to my heart. Uh, in fact, the first one went to my heart. And so, uh, you know, I tried to fight back. I was a pretty big guy. I could fight. Um, but what happened was uh, he just proceeded to stab me eight more times, which was a total of nine stab wounds. And I fell on the ground, and I had a sweatshirt on. I lifted up the sweatshirt, and I looked at the guy who I had never seen before in my life. And there was this girl that he was with that was screaming. And, you know, she was kind of seeing the whole thing that was going on and just couldn't believe what she was seeing. And she was probably on drugs and alcohol, too. And so, anyway, um, you know, uh, I'm looking at the guy, and I'm like, I'm dying. I'm dying. And so I think he had a moment of sobriety. And he realized, oh, my God, I'm going to murder this guy. So he picks me up, puts me into my mom's SUV, which I was driving that night, and uh, starts to drive me to the hospital. And I said, we got to go to Granada Hills Hospital. It's the closest hospital. And so I'm, like, dying, telling him where to go. And that hospital, Granada Hills Hospital, was actually just about to be mothballed. It was just about to be closed down permanently. Uh, but it was still open. I think it had about a month or so to go. And so on the way to the hospital with this guy that had just stabbed me driving, I'm in the middle seat and the girl is in the front seat screaming and crying. And uh, I'm probably just bleeding all over this car, pretty gory scene. And I start losing my sight and I kind of have tunnel vision. And eventually I'm in this white presence, which I believe I died. And I heard the Lord say, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I said, I want to live, Lord. I said, I've always wanted a family. I feel like I have much more to do. He says, well, if you live, you got to make sure you do two things. Number one, you got to be on fire for me for the rest of your life. Number two, you got to tell people I'm real. And I said, well, yes, Lord, I'll do both those things. And he said, and the minute I said, yes, Lord, it was like an Isaiah chapter six moment where I was in the presence of God and it was my send me, I'll go moment. You know, you remember Isaiah chapter six where he, you know, I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and you had the cherubim flying around and, you know, all, all Isaiah could say was send me, I'll go. Well, that was me. I mean, in the presence and the glory of the Most High God, all you can do is say, send me, I'll go. That's it. I mean, you knew this guy's real. God is real. This is all real. And so I woke up after I had said, yes, Lord. And the woman looked at me in the hospital. and She says, you should not be alive. Uh, clearly, you should be dead. And I knew it was a miracle. She knew it was a miracle. Everybody there knew it was a miracle. And so I was miraculously spared. The Lord spared my life after that near-death experience. And you would think that that would be it. I would say, okay, God spared my life. He's real. But because of who I am, I'm a stubborn guy, and you know, I was still battling with my identity, and I was going through all these different emotions as a young person, I started getting mad at God. God, you know what? All these years, I was in the world. I was living it up. I had the best life. I was hanging with celebrities. I had all this money. I was a child actor. I had all this stuff, and nothing seemed to happen to me that was bad. Now, I'm in Christ. I give my heart to the Lord. I have no friends. I'm awkward. I'm unpopular. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm totally bored out of my life. I have no money. And now, uh, maybe, what, two years into this thing, 
I'm stabbed nine times, and now I have these keloid scars all over my body. So I started getting angry with the Lord. But I was determined to get healed real quick, and so I was only in ICU for 10 days, and I was in the hospital for maybe a month. I got out. I went right back to work. I had a job in retail, funny enough. My dad probably got me the job. I think he did. And so I was working at the Macy's in Burbank, which is a very Armenian area. In fact, I think the most densely populated Armenian area in the country, uh, that in Glendale, California. And so Armenians tend to be Christian. And so I was working with a bunch of little Armenian women that are Christians. And uh, they all knew that I had just got stabbed. I finally get back to work. I'm working behind the cash wrap in the men's department. And this woman comes down out of nowhere. And she says, I saw your face. And she says, God had given me a word to give you. And so I came down here to find you. And I need to give you this word. So we're all looking in suspense. Well, what is the word? You know? And she says, God told me to tell you not to grow weary in doing good and not to let bitterness grow root in your heart. And you're going to soar with wings like an eagle and you're going to run and not grow weary. And there's a calling on your life and God is going to lift you up. And there's going to be thousands of people that are going to be saved and you're going to have a ministry. And I'm just looking at this woman like, what? And everybody there starts crying because they all know what I had been through. And they couldn't believe that there was this prophetic word. I knew my mom couldn't have set the woman up to it because, you know, I was in a Macy's. So anyways, I kind of took the word uh, with a grain of salt, but didn't really change my heart. And so I was still bitter and I was still mad at God. Uh, but I did take note that that happened, which was kind of a weird experience. And I did have some tears and, uh, you know, was trying to sort through emotionally what I wanted to think about the whole thing. And so a couple days later, I go to Starbucks in Studio City and I'm sitting down and I'm um, listening to this guy and he's having a normal conversation with somebody and the person gets up and they walk away. And I wouldn't have thought this person was a Christian. I mean, it was just a normal conversation, nothing weird, but, you know, nothing Christian. And all of a sudden he gets up and he looks at me and he says, I have a word for you. And I look at him and I say, you have a word for me? He says, I have a word for you. I said, what's the word? He says, God says not to let bitterness grow root in your heart. You have a calling on your life. He says, you're going to run and not grow weary. You're going to soar like a, like a wings of an eagle. And God's going to be the wind beneath your wings. And you're going to have a ministry and people are going to get saved through your ministry. And so don't let bitterness grow root. God's got a big call on your life. And I was just staring at the guy like, are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? Like you literally just said that here at the Starbucks in Studio City, California. So then a couple days later, I'm at 24-Hour Fitness in Northridge, California, and I'm getting my workout on, at least trying to. Remember, I had just been in the hospital with nine stab wounds, so I was probably lifting like the very lightest weight you could possibly lift, but I'm trying to get back into working out because I used to be obsessed with working out. And uh, so anyway, no, it was an idol in my life, living in California, working in the industry. You know, everything's based on aesthetics and looks and all that stuff. So, you know, it was a big deal to me. And so I was in pretty good shape. And uh, even though after I got stabbed, I was still in pretty good shape. And I was back in the gym. And I saw this guy with a bunch of tattoos. And he is there working out. And I'm looking at his tattoos. I'm like, wow, that guy's got a lot of tattoos. All of a sudden, that man turns around. And no joke starts prophesying to me. And he says to me, I have a word for you. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He says, you know, I have a word for you. What's the word? He says, you cannot let bitterness go root in your heart. You've just been through something, but God is going to take you through this and you're going to soar with wings of an eagle. You're going to run and not grow weary. God is the wind beneath your wings. He says, you have a calling on your life and you're going to bring thousands of people to the Lord. And I just stared at him and said, my God, three people just said the exact same thing. These people do not know each other. I just died and went into the presence of God and now I'm sitting here. And so I went outside in the parking lot at that 24-hour fitness, and you better believe I cried like a baby. I cried and cried and cried and said, Lord, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen in my life, but for whatever reason, you're letting it happen. And Lord, I don't want to let you down, and so I'm going to dedicate my heart once again to you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm, I'm not even mad at you. I know that you 
are taking me somewhere and you have a plan for me. And so clearly I just got to submit to you. And so what do you do at that point? Well, you enroll in Bible school. So I enrolled at the King's College and Seminary right there in Van Nuys, California, under the direction of Dr. Dr. Jack Hayford. And uh, God just started opening doors. He gave me great favor. I started working at the college and seminary there. I was working in the youth department at church on the way and mentoring kids. And I uh, started making some Christian friends and went to the college and started meeting some kids that I probably never would have hung out with before. And God got a hold of my life and changed me. I got to lead worship for Pastor Jack at the School of Pastoral Nurture. Uh, I got to meet hundreds of pastors from all around the world at the School of Pastoral Nurture. I mean, it was a real amazing thing that God had trusted me with that position, and I got to be mentored under Dr. Hafer for a season, which was a blessing, and meet, you know, the people that were close to him and the pastors at the church, and that was a big foundation for me, a big foundation of my faith, and God really got me connected there. In fact, I'm still friends with most of those people today that are still alive, and so, um, you know, after that, I just... I started in the ministry, and that was the birth. I became a youth pastor. I was a college pastor for a little while, and then I became a regular pastor uh, of adults, and uh, the rest is history. God did a lot. And let me just tell you, though, the end is not there. Uh, For many, many years, I had a remnant church with my family. My mom was a pastor as well. She became a pastor at this point. And, uh, you know, so we we pastored a church in Chatsworth. It was a remnant church. Uh, We probably never broke maybe 500 people on a service, uh, sometimes a lot less. And um, you know what? God did a lot of miracles and signs and wonders in Chatsworth, California. Chatsworth, California is actually the porn capital of the world. And uh, God started opening up doors for me to have an assignment in Hollywood as a Christian, to go back into Hollywood, but now as a redeemed, restored man who has the authority because I had repented and given my heart to Jesus. And so I didn't want to go back to Hollywood. I actually hated Hollywood at this point, did not want to go back. It was like me saying, Lord, don't send me to Africa. I said, Lord, don't send me to Hollywood. He said, well, guess what? Guess where you're going to go? You're going to go to Hollywood and you're going to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And all the people that used to know, many of these people are going to come to know Jesus. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And so I was like Paul who used to persecute Christians I was the last man that you would ever think would be a pastor. My friends, when they heard and they got wind, hey, this guy, he's going to Bible school, he's going to become a pastor, they laughed. They said, that won't last. But they didn't know about the encounter that I had. They didn't know that I was in the presence of God, that I said, send me, I'll go, Lord. They didn't know the experience that I had. And so years went by and they saw, wow, he really is staying as a Christian. He's not just doing it as a fad in his life. It's actually a life change. And I had friends that were dying of, you know, overdoses and all different types of things in the, in the dark lifestyle that they had been caught up in. And yet my life started prospering and thriving. And God gave me a second chance in life. And I'm not saying that I was healed at this point. I had to fight for my healing for many, many years. I had to deal with generational curses like anger and all different types of things, the way I treated women. It was awful. But God, you know, in his grace and mercy, took me through this season and ever so gently every time peeled away layer after layer because I was willing to consecrate and and surrender myself to him. And so that's why to me this is such a real thing because he saved a wretch like me and he showed me the playbook of the enemy, the alluring, the things that the world says is cool and you've made it and this is what success looks like and money and fame and all these different things and meanwhile those things are so empty and nothing can fill the void but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ filled the void in my life. People said I could have never got off those drugs and alcohol, but I did, and I never looked back. People said that there was no way that I would stay in Christ, but I did. I never looked back because I had an encounter with the living God. It was true. I was able to forgive my father of being abusive, and my mom was able to forgive my father, and the Lord did a restoration in our family and turned it around for his glory, and we were able to minister to thousands of people in L.A., 
And I was able to minister to many, many prominent people in Hollywood and people that were doing the makeup on the sets and people that were doing the, you know, the PA work. And just, you know, God had me in Hollywood at these very, very uh, divine appointments that he would set up over and over again for years. I mean, I could just go through so many people that I've met with over the years and prayed for and, you know, to God, all the glory. He's the one that opened the doors. And I just want to encourage everybody that's listening too. you know, some people see the ministry today. And they see the glory, but they don't know the story. You know, the whole thing is, is that this is all God. God is the one. It's the anointing. And, and the fact that you, you surrender yourself, you surrender your life, you surrender your heart, and you're willing to say everything, Lord God. I, I'm willing to consecrate myself and die to your flesh and truly be born again. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that just because you raise your hand and you're born again, that you're healed. you got to fight for your healing. I, all throughout my 20s, friends, I was fighting for my healing. I was a broken, messed up man. And I needed years of healing and deliverance. And, I, and so, you know, the reason why I understand so many of these things today is because I've had to walk through a lot of this myself. I've seen the brokenness of abuse. I've seen drug addiction. I've seen alcohol abuse. I've seen the prominence in the world and the things that allure us and the temptations and the, the devices that the devil uses. And yet, God showed me a strategy how to win this effectively. And it's, it's only by his grace and it's only by a full repentance and turning from a lifestyle of wickedness and, and repenting and, and turning back to our first love, the creator of all things, heaven and earth, the God who sits on the throne, because this is reality. This is the reality of our world. The things that the media shows you, the things that Hollywood shows you, the things that the world has to offer, those are all temporary. They're all dying. They're all fading away. But Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is the ultimate void filler. Listen, on my big days, I would go out and spend 5000 in a night at a club. I'd have a table and bottle service and VIP and people all around me dancing, all this stuff, and I would go home and I'd be absolutely miserable and I'd wake up and I'd be depressed. And I thought, you know what, as, as fun as that seems, it was absolutely miserable to me. And, and people that have been through that understand it. My, I had a huge void in my heart that only could be filled by Christ and his love. And when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I found my identity in Jesus Christ, which was the biggest revelation of my life, knowing who I really am, what I'm capable of doing, and, and killing the fear and killing the doubt and killing the brokenness that the world tried to put on me, that the devil tried to put on me, and, and really fighting for deliverance and healing in those areas because those generational curses, they stop with me. They stop here and they stop now. And some of you need to hear this because you know what? You come from a broken home or you come from a messed up family or you come, look, my parents should have been divorced. I'm just going to be real. With all the abuse going on in the home, my mom was an absolute saint to sit through that. But she fought for the marriage. But not everybody does that. But you know what? Sometimes it's equally as painful if the parents stay together because they had such a horrible marriage. And so I had to go through years of that and it was a nightmare. And even in my adult life, I've still seen some of it, but God has done a lot in my parents and, and really done a lot of healing, but that's because my mom was long-suffering and patient and prayed it through. But, you know, if you come from a broken home and, and maybe it was a divorce situation, don't sit there and let that define your life. Don't let an abortion define your life. Don't let a drug addiction define your life. You know how many people have been through that too? The church doesn't talk about these things, but we need to. You know how many people come out of brokenness, of addiction, of abuse, of sexual abuse? I mean, there's more people that have been through that than haven't. And yet, for some reason, we put it under a rug and we pretend like it's not happening. It is happening. And if the church is really going to get the healing and we're really going to get to the place where we need to be to actually have revival and a true awakening, we've got to address these things because these are the strongholds. And the Bible says that we are meant to cast down these things, to bind, to loose, to call upon the name of the Lord, that we have the authority in the name of Yeshua and the name of Jesus to bind the devil 
to, to trample on scorpions and demons, to cast out, to drive out. And so that's why we have to understand our identity in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know who I am because I'm just giving you the short version of a longer story. It's even a longer story than that, believe it or not. And there was so much brokenness and so much, just so many things that I had to walk through, friends. And what he's done for me, he can do for you because I'm no better than you. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And it's time we're authentic and we're real. We stop this whole thing, pastors or celebrities, nonsense. Give me a break. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Now, there's some real good pastors out there. There's some real, real deal pastors. I've met a lot of them. So I, I would encourage you not to base your salvation on how people have treated you or what your experience has been in the church. Base it on the fact that this, it's reality. The reality is, is that I went into the presence of the Most High God, and he said, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I said, I want to live. And he said, well, if you live, you need to tell people that I'm real. And I'm here to tell you that he's real. He's living. If you're going through an ailment, a physical ailment, something emotional, depression, oppression, doubt, fear, rejection, shame, all these things are the human condition. But we have the answer, and his name is Jesus. He loves you more than you'll ever know. Just because man has said something hurtful over your life, that doesn't mean that that's who you are. What does God say about you? He said he made you fearfully and wonderfully. He said he took his time on you. He said his plans are yes and amen that his promise is hope and a future. And I believe that your best days are ahead of you. In fact, I believe this could be the first day of the rest of your life. So if this has encouraged you at all or helped you, I would encourage you to listen to the rest of this CD series. I think it's going to really benefit your life and your walk with Jesus. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity. You say, Pastor Todd, if I were to die, if I were to get killed, if Jesus were to come, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Just don't, don't let the day go by. Listen, look at what's going on in our world. Look how insane things are right now. But yet we have the answer, Jesus Christ. We can have a peace that passes all understanding. We can have joy unspeakable. We can be filled with the glory and presence of God. We can change the atmosphere when we walk in a room because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We can do the same things that Jesus did in his ministry and even greater things according to the word of God. And I believe this is a great time to be alive because we're gonna see miracles and signs and wonders and things like we've never seen before. In fact, I think we're on the cusp of the greatest awakening in the history of the world before the Lord returns. But this is a very pivotal hour right now. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. If I were to die, if I were to get killed, if Jesus were to come, I'm just not sure I'm on my way to heaven. And I want to make sure, I want to make sure today, if that's you, just lift your hand where you are. Just lift your hand. I know I can't see you, but God can see you. Lift your hand and repeat this prayer. You say, Todd, I want to know Jesus. Just repeat this prayer. Say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Jesus, you are my God. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the Savior. You're the King. And I'm going to dedicate my life to you. I give my heart and my life to you this day. Never will I look back in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what you just did, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've walked out of a life of darkness and you walked into the light and life of Jesus Christ. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make on this earth. There's really nothing more important on this earth than accepting Jesus Christ because we have free will. He's given us free will. The Bible says the angels rejoice when one comes to know Jesus. You know that he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I was the one. 
You're the one. He leaves the 99 to come after you. It's not a mistake that you're listening to this today. It's not a mistake that you found this series. I believe this can be life-changing for you. If you apply these principles in this CD series, I believe this is going to absolutely revolutionize your life. Because God has given us all the keys, all the resources, all the tools to be set up for complete success and walk in complete victory. I'm excited for you. And listen, even if you've been a Christian and you listen to this, I hope it encourages you. Because things are not as they appear. You know, sometimes people see, oh, a pastor, a minister. And they just think, oh, this person's always been in Christ. They don't understand the story behind it. God is real. and He's activating. He's calling hidden people. He's calling the misfits, the prodigals. He's calling the least of these. God anoints people that are the least likely. Look at, he's done it all throughout the Bible because it's his choice. He wants to show himself. He wants to show how powerful he is so that he gets all the glory because he's a jealous God. He's a good God. I don't mean jealous in a bad way. It's jealous in a good way. He wants us to be set up for complete success, like I said. And so your life will prosper in the midst of calamity. Listen, our world is turbulent. Things are going wild all around us. But if you apply these things and you walk in the light and life of Jesus Christ, you're going to have favor and blessing on your life. God's going to open doors. He's going to anoint you. And the Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. So I'm excited for you. Thank you for listening to CD1 on this five-part audio teaching entitled Exposing Satan's Playbook, How You Can Win Every Battle Every Time. I encourage you to listen to the next CD, Exposing Satan's Playbook. My name is Pastor Todd Coconado. I love you and I bless you. In Jesus' name.